Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. I want to deliver a, a message, and if you are new, by the way, I should introduce myself. My name is Dave, and it's been my privilege to serve as lead pastor here at Harvest for many, many years. And I want to share just a brief word from Joshua 4, verses 1 through 9. And the theme of our whole 20-year anniversary has been stones of remembrance. And I think as I read the passage with you, uh, it'll be clear for you why we've chosen that title. The passage reads, When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. You know, over the last month, we've been really, um, really working hard. For a couple months, we've been planning, but this last month has just been filled with activity and focus on this day and this occasion. And as part of that, just contributing photos um, to our slideshow um, photo pool, I, no exaggeration, I literally looked over every single photograph from 20 years of harvest history. And that is over 10,000 photographs. I just looked at every single one, and it was something else. It was just an amazing walk down memory lane. And here's a couple things I've noticed. One is, man, we have a lot more photos today than we did in the past. Um, When I look back even to 1999, for the whole year, I had 38 pictures. (laughs) The whole year of 1999. For last year's youth group turkey bowl alone, I had 239 pictures. And that's after I deleted all the bad ones. So with the advent of digital photography, one thing I can tell you is we are recording the moments of our lives at a far greater volume than ever before. We've invented this thing called big data now because everybody is producing massive data. And here's the thing. Even as I collect tens of thousands of photographs for my family, and a lot of photographs for our church, 
while we are recording the moments of our lives more, I think that at the same time, we're reflecting less on the moments of our lives. So that it's almost as if we're desperate to take a picture just to prove we were here. Because day by day, moment by moment, I'm wondering if we're as engaged as we ought to be. I mean, we're recording everything. Some people take a picture of everything they eat. I don't know why we do it, but it's just you have to. Like, this is my salad. Ooh, and I'm going to take a photo of it almost as if to say it existed and I existed. And though it is no longer food anymore, it's in the this sewer system, it once looked beautiful and I ate it. And I just want to encourage us not to just record our history, but on a regular basis, look through some of those pictures that you are obsessively taking. Look through your own Facebook wall from time to time and just remember the highlight reel of your own life. And that's what we're going to do today. It's what this is about. Is I, I know that over the course of 20 years, we've had some very painful moments as well as some good ones. But today what we're doing together is pausing to reflect on all that's happened in 20 years and acknowledge God in all of it. In the good times as well as the painful times, in the times of difficult change and transition, as well as the times where uh, we've just been soaring with joy, we want to acknowledge that the one person who has faithfully and consistently been a part of that is our living God. Think about the text we just read, and let me describe to you the moment in Israel's history that that text records. As you know, Israel was in slavery in Egypt, just groaning under the weight of it. Nobody enjoys being a slave. And so God set his people free in a very dramatic way under the leadership of a man named Moses. But because the people were faithless and because they grumbled in their sin, God had them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And in that wilderness wandering, Moses and the generation that left Egypt with him had all died. And only Joshua remained And he, as the new leader replacing Moses, was about to take the people of Israel into the promised land at last. It was a long-awaited moment, 40 years in the making. The people entering the land had not even really been around to hear that first promise. And they had been told over and over by their parents, one day this wilderness wandering will end. One day, we will enter an amazing land flowing with milk and honey. And that was the promise. And so finally, the day had come. And here is is Joshua leading the people across. And we're talking about millions of people crossing a river. And the reason that he this is such an amazing occasion is that God miraculously stopped the flow of water a second time in the history so that the people could cross a body of water on dry land. When the last person had crossed and the river began flowing again and they had just crossed the final barrier into this promised land, the journey was just beginning. At that moment, Joshua does a most curious thing. He stops everybody dead in their tracks and says, before we continue any further on this journey, we're going to build a stone memorial. And we're going to do it because exactly at this moment, it is critically important that we pause and remember what God has done in this place. I think he understood 
that there were going to be some very trying times in the future. I'm sure Joshua's mind was filled with a logistical nightmare of moving three million people all over the place. That the bloody and costly military campaign ahead was weighing down on him the way it only will weigh down on a general. And he understood the spiritual and historical significance of this moment in his nation's history and the fact that he was the point man, the primary leader at this moment. And yet what he does before he does anything else is he erects a memorial. This past week I've been watching a number of videos, Jay Leno's Jaywalking and a number of other ones that, that are kind of poking fun at the low quality of public education today, but especially at the fact that even with kids excelling at some of the STEM subjects, It's almost universal that high school kids today hate history. Is there a high school student in this room that loves history? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Most high school students not only hate history, they don't know it at all. I, I watched one video where 20 students in a Seattle area high school could not answer the question, in which war did America win its independence? One of them guessed the Korean War, which (laughs) I don't even have words to describe that level of not knowing stuff. Um, In a culture and in a generation that does not appreciate the power of history, I think a lot of people wonder why we bother to build memorials like this one. This is the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C. with the Washington Memorial in the background. It's a beautiful picture. And people wonder, what's the purpose of so much expense and so much effort being made to build stone memorials that stand forever as a way to look backwards in time? After all, history is something you can't do anything to change. It's done. It already happened. No matter how much you remember it, you're not going to ever change it. So many people wonder, what is the point of looking backwards at history Why don't we just move on and look forward at our future? And there is great merit to that attitude. We do need to primarily look forward because guess what? When you're driving a car, you should look more in the front windshield than in the back, right? So we are moving forward. Yes, by all means, focus ahead. But there is great value in looking backwards. I think one of the things that Joshua had in mind was that the Israelites would face some challenges that would push their faith to the breaking point. And if they did not pause to acknowledge in that precious moment what God was doing, they would face the future with fear and doubt and uncertainty. Because people who don't pause to look backwards and people who fail to acknowledge God in the moments of their lives become people who get more and more anxious about what lies ahead. When you don't see God by not looking for him, it's hard to see him when you look ahead at the future. And so I think Joshua, as a wise leader, said, before we can start off on this amazing journey you've been waiting 40 years for, we have to pause and say that God is in this moment, and apart from him, none of us would be standing on the opposite shore of the Jordan about to begin this journey. I think two important things happen for us when we make it a practice to look backwards and acknowledge God. And this is true for us as a church, but I especially want to encourage you, this is true for you individually as well. 
When you pause regularly to look for God and acknowledge Him, even in the hard moments and the difficult seasons of your life, two important things will come out of that exercise. One of them, I believe, is gratitude. Would you agree with me that in general, the times in which we're living are marked by real ingratitude? By a kind of entitlement where people just forget to be thankful. Where in fact, even our attitude towards God is entirely based on what he's done for me in the last day or week or month. What have you done for me lately, God? And that really, unfortunately, shrinks our view of God because God cannot be summed up in what he has done for you in the last week. He can only be truly understood in what he's been doing for you over the course of your whole life. And if you're in the midst of a difficult season, if that's all you see and you think that's all God is doing, God's, your picture of God will change in some very unfortunate and destructive ways. One of the things I observed as I was looking over those 10,000 plus photos is this. I saw group shot after group shot of smiling, laughing people. If I believe that, that pictorial history of our church, we are one stinking happy church, man. We have had 20 years of uninterrupted bliss. But then I realized we don't take a lot of pictures in the bad moments, do we? Like nobody goes, hey, this is me right after somebody I love lost their job. This is me on the day of my layoff. This is me the day I went flat broke. This is me on the day of my divorce, on the funeral day. We don't take those pictures. So clearly there were hard moments, tears shed along the way. But here's what I I noticed. That as I'm looking over all these smiling faces, I didn't recognize half of them. These people came to our job. It was like I'm looking through and some of the faces I remember. But so many hundreds of people passed in and out, stayed for three weeks and moved on. But while they were here, they came to the church picnic. They had a hula hoop around their waist and they were cracking up. And I'm like, who is that? And even if I were in half those pictures and I looked like I was having fun, for the life of me, and maybe I'm suffering from POFO syndrome and in my older years I'm forgetting, but the thing is, I was there, I'm photographically captured in that moment, and no matter how much I strain my brain, I could not remember that day. What was that? What were we doing? Why was I there? Who is that that standing next to me? And why am I laughing so hard? But here's the other thing I noticed. If I think back on the history of our church, I can remember with crystal clarity almost every painful moment. I remember every person who left in anger. I remember every death, every marriage breakup, every severe illness, every crisis in our leadership. I remember everyone who departed, even under good circumstances, but whose absence hit us like a punch to the gut. It's interesting that our human mind and our heart clings so readily to pain and so easily forgets happiness. Isn't that interesting? And I'll bet you if you think about your own life, I could show you photographs from your own life of happy days and you would be hard-pressed to remember exactly what that occasion was. But if I asked you to recall all the painful highlights of your life, maybe call them lowlights, you'd remember each one. Each major fight, 
each illness, each death, each divorce, each firing, each layoff, each D minus in an AP class. Oh, you'd remember that SAT score. You would remember the rejection when you asked someone to prom. You remember every pain with clarity. And that's why when we look back, it's important as an exercise because our hearts are built in such a way that we cling jealously to pain and we so loosely hold on to the joys of our life. I think that Joshua knew bad times were coming for Israel. Bloody wars, times of hunger, loss, and illness. And so he was saying, before we face those trials, let's establish one thing for certain, that our God is a good God. And even when we're stretched in our faith through the bad season to come, don't ever forget that the God who has brought us to this moment of victory, crossing the Jordan after 40 years, is the same God who will lead us through those very difficult days ahead. Here's another thing I noticed, is it's important that all 12 tribes erected a stone. And that's his way of saying, there isn't one tribe among us who was exempted from God's grace. There wasn't one tribe who can say, well, sure, Asher and Zebulun and all those other guys can rejoice because God's treated them nicely, but we got the shaft. No one could say that. What he's saying is every single person who knows God, if they look for him, can find a reason to thank him and acknowledge him. Some of us have borne more than our fair share of pain, but that doesn't mean the goodness of God is absent in your life. If you look for him, you will most certainly find his goodness in your life. Not one person is exempt from that. And so that's one of the things he's saying is everyone has a testimony to offer of the goodness of God, no matter what their life looks like today. And so I hope that even if your personal life is not in a celebratory place right now, that together with us as we celebrate turning 20 as a church, like I joke, next year as a church we can drink. It's a big deal, right? Um, But as we celebrate turning 20 as a church, thank you. (laughs) We'll start using real wine and communion starting next year. You know, every one of us can look backwards in our collective history and say, my goodness, wasn't God good? And though I am passing through the valley of the shadow of death, you know what? God is still good, and I see him in our collective story. And so I cling to him in my personal story. Let me give you one other thing that we gain when we pause to acknowledge God. Is we gain confidence. I think it's impossible to see God clearly in the future. We can hope to see him. We can have faith that we'll see him. But we're not 100% sure that he's going to be there the way we hope. That's why we call it faith. But when we look backwards at a history that can't change, we can't see him most clearly. And that's the value of looking backwards, is that while we hope to see God in the future, we can most definitely see him in the past. And and one of the reasons we pause to look backwards at our own history is to say, 
that God did this and he did that and he did this and he did that so that when we hope in him in the future, we can always point to the same God who has already proven himself over and over. God is not changing. The same God who was kind to us once will be kind to us again. The same God who did impossible things before is not done doing impossible things. When you look back thousands of years and see him separating a sea so that people could walk across on dry land, and you wonder if he can take care of your teenager, you wonder if he can get you into university, you wonder if you're ever going to break the 30 barrier on your ACTs, you wonder if you're ever going to get married. And God says that the God who has been faithful to his people for thousands and thousands of years hasn't changed. And when you see him looking backwards, your confidence will grow that that same God will walk with you in the present. What's great is that Joshua gives him this further encouragement because he says to them, look, the reason we're making these stones here in a memorial is that someday, what a, what a hopeful word for people who are about to face some bloody battles. I mean, they had just crossed the Jordan But the massive fortified city of Jericho was their first barrier to cross. And once they got past that massive hurdle, if any of them were still alive, they would have to conquer city after city after city. And the spies had already reported that this land was filled with giants. It's the way I felt when I was living in Bloomington Normal, and I would play basketball at this park where the Illinois State University starting lineup would play pickup games. And I remember when I was point guard against this team where the other point guard was 6'7". And I thought, there is no way I'm going to escape this, not just without humiliation, but without injury. And it's like that. You really worry how we're going to get through this. And so Joshua says to them, the reason we're erecting this stone memorial is that one day when all this is done and you've survived and you've married and you've had children, and you've settled the land, on spring break, you will come back to these shores where this memorial stands, and you will show your kids these stones that we propped up today. Isn't that a hopeful word to people who are very nervous about their chances for the future? As he says to them, you will have kids, and one day you will come back here, and you will look again, and your kids will ask you, what's with the stones? Why are you crying, Daddy, looking at a pile of rocks? And you'll tell your dumb children, man, you just don't know. I'm sorry, kids are not dumb. They're awesome. But they won't understand. That's why they'll ask, why are you so emotional looking at rocks? I spent $10 to buy a brick as they were demolishing the Brainerd Building at Libertyville High School, the freshman campus where I had such powerful memories. Formative years of my life. And when they were demolishing the building, they offered to all the alumni the sale of a brick from that building for $10. And I bought one. And everyone who I knew was like, what is your problem? And that brick sits in a display case in my office. And everyone's like, why would you pay $10 for a brick? It's because you all just don't know. When your kids ask you, why are you emotional over a pile of stones? You have a story to tell one day. That I'm emotional because this day, 
God did something amazing. And he started us on a journey that got us to where we are. And I will never, ever forget that God. And these stones, kids, stand as a permanent reminder. They will be here after I'm dead, and you will tell your children when you bring them on spring break to see these stones on this shore that there's a God who loves us, and he has done great things. My dad told me about him, and I'm telling you about him. He is a great God. And every day, this world in its supposed sophistication will tell you God is dead, that it's all a figment of our imagination, that there's no reason to believe. And some of us will have to go that route for a long season, but one day, I promise you, life will give you a reminder that there is more than what you see. You will need more than what you have in your hands. One day, life will bring you to your knees and you will acknowledge God. And I hope that all the stories you were told as a child on that day will no longer sound like fiction, but will sound like truth. God lives. And none of us would be here today without him propping us up. Whether we believe that or not, I declare it to be true. And one day, I really believe that you will understand that in the depths of your heart and rejoice together. We have to look back because often that is where we will see God most clearly. And it's in looking back over my own history that God is changing the way I feel about so many things that are happening today. And he's shaping the way I respond to some of the great challenges of being Christian in a changing world. Where all the rules are changing, where all the issues are different than what I faced as a kid. I'm so grateful that the God of my past is the God of my future. And he is showing me how to love people and love him in this ever-changing world. He doesn't change, even while our world does. And that's the great hope of a day like today as we look back. If you look at your table, um, you're going to notice some stones. I'm going to invite Pastor Jared to come up and walk us through an explanation of what those stones are for. And as he's coming up, uh, would you just bow with me for a quick word of prayer? God, we do thank you that as we look back on the story of our church, in the midst of all of the really hard and difficult memories that are part of that story, there are thousands of of wonderful days, victories, supernatural healings, marriages saved, lives changed. You have been exceedingly good. And we thank you for this place and this church family, where as we sit together so often, when we couldn't see you for ourselves, we saw you through the faith and the eyes of others. Help us today to remember you as we remember our own history. We pray that today, just a little bit, you would become more real to each of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. 
If you'd like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.